0: You're listening to The Influencer Podcast, episode number 45. Last week, we were graced with Claire Collins of Gleam Futures, a management agency specializing in digital talent and influencers. We chatted about working with brands, what it's like to represent influencers, and how to best grow and monetize a strong community. I had a blast talking all things influencer management with Claire. This week, we're taking things back to my business roots, the publishing industry, as we have my dear friend, the lovely Jennifer Smith, founder of Spin Literary, that's going to teach us a few things about how to turn our influence into a best-selling book. This show is brought to you by our free tip sheet of the month, Attract Your Ideal Audience, a completely free tip sheet that will help you cut through the clutter, get crystal clear on who you're talking to, and help you start attracting and growing your audience today. You can grab your free tip sheet at juliesolomon.net forward slash newsletter. Before we dive in, I want to give my warm appreciation to our reviewer of the week, and that is Eye of the Chic, and she says, Ladies and gents, this is the podcast you've been looking for. The epitome of quality content is right here on the Influencer Podcast. I'm so grateful for Julie and all of the free insight and information she hands out to anyone willing to take it. One lifelong listener gained here. Well, thank you so much, Emma J, with Eye of the Chic. I am so glad that you are loving this podcast and that it is helping you. So of course, I want to hear from more of you who listen in each week. So make sure to subscribe to the Influencer Podcast on iTunes. Give us a review so I can highlight your review in an upcoming episode. And make sure to screenshot this episode on your phone right now and tag me on your Instagram story at Jules Solomon, our guest today at coffee underscore loves underscore wine, and hashtag the Influencer Podcast to let me know that you're joining in today as you know that I love to share those screenshots on my story too. Welcome to the Influencer Podcast. Each week, Julie Solomon, a marketing strategist and New York Times best selling publicist, takes you behind the scenes with successful influencers, bloggers, and Industry elites in conversation to share how they engage, persuade, and grow their unique influence. Her mission is to share exclusive insider tips, wisdom, and action based tools to help you strengthen, monetize, and build your own industry leading influence. Hi, influencers, and welcome. To this week's episode, we are taking things back to my business roots today, which is the publishing world. As we have my dear, dear friend and lovely colleague, Jennifer Smith, the founder of Spin Literary, on the show today. Spin is a global literary firm providing clients with guidance through every phase of the literary process, from handling their presence on social media to finding their voice to marketing. Spin helps with all components that are behind a publishing success. Jennifer has worked. Worked on countless best-selling books with the best in the game, like Joan Rivers, Stephen King, Hillary Rodham Clinton, Bethany Frankel, Doctor Oz, and so many more. I had the privilege of meeting Jennifer a few years ago and had the pleasure of working with her when she was Vice President of Marketing and Communications at Howard Books, which is an imprint of one of the top publishing companies in the world, Simon and Schuster. Jennifer packed up her family and moved them across the globe to her husband's home country of Australia just last year, and now with her own company, her own blog. And plenty of time spent with toes in the sand. Jennifer is showcasing how to live the career and life that you want. So let's welcome her into the podcast today. Hi, Miss Jennifer. Hello, Julie. It's so good to hear your voice. I know it's so good to hear yours and to finally be doing this. I know that this conversation has been a long time coming. So I am so glad that we finally are able to make this happen. And I know that you are sitting your lovely self in Australia at this moment. Tell us where you are and what time is it? (laughs)
1: It is 7.53 a.m. on what day is it today? Friday morning. So it's Thursday for you. I'm a day ahead and I'm telling you the future is bright. So there you go. You have that to look forward to. That is so fun. Um, I love that we have that we have you
0: on today Um, and it's winter. No, it's summer for you right now.
1: It is summer. Yes, we are completely upside down. So I just keep telling everybody back in the States when you imagine me, just imagine me like on the ceiling flipped upside down and that's pretty much my world you're in winter, I'm in summer, you're in evening, I'm in daytime it's yeah it, it's been an adjustment for sure.
0: But I'm sure that you handle it with ease like you always do, which has made you the amazing woman and career professional that you are today. So I'm so excited for my audience to not only get to know you better, but to really soak up so many nuggets that I know that you're going to be sharing today because you are just a force. And I'm so excited to have you on. So I would love if you could just share with our audience a little bit about where your, your background, where you came from, how you got into, you know, working with Simon and Schuster, how all of that evolved and then how it got you to Australia today.
1: Yeah, certainly. Uh, so when I started out and my goodness, this is going to age me, but it was, you know, 20 plus years ago, I had this idea like a lot of us, um, that I was going to be the next Katie Couric. So I went to college, I got my degree in communications and journalism and I started out at in that path. And you know, I had some success in that regard, uh, being a producer and a news director. But at some point, I just took a step back and I said, okay, you know what, this doesn't feel right. Um, and I knew that my passion had always been writing. And so I said, how am I going to combine my passion with my career? And so I started taking um, informational calls with publishers, only because at that point, I was the person that a lot of the um, marketing and communications and publicity teams internally was pitching. So I had a lot of contacts in that regard, took some meetings, um, and ended up meeting somebody who said, look, I think what you bring to the table is really interesting because you understand the language um, in terms of behind the scenes, what's going on, what producers want to see, what they want to hear. I would love to actually bring you on um, internally. And that is how I ended up getting into publishing. It was probably, I, I don't want to say luck of the draw because I did a lot of hustle um, and taking those meetings to, to make those connections. Uh, but that just so happened to be a distribution client of Simon & Schuster, and that began a 14-year career within that company. Um, And like many of us, I just pounded the pavement, I rolled up my sleeves, and I did what I had to do uh, to keep climbing the ladder. And so I moved through within those years at Simon & Schuster, moved through three different divisions, um, was the associate director of publicity for one of our divisions in New York for many years, and then was presented an opportunity as they had opened a branch in Nashville, and it had been there a few years, they approached me and said, hey, we need somebody with New York chops who who know press, who kind of have those relationships to go down there and just get things running the way that they need to run from a publicity uh, standpoint. And so that's what I ended up doing. So I was there for six years before deciding to pack it all up. We've got two little ones, um, and Australia just seemed like a really, really good option. Um, I'd be lying if I said that some of the decisions we made weren't politically driven, but that's a conversation for another day.
0: And then, so when you kind of found yourself um, minding and grinding, not only in New York but in Nashville as well, um, I know. I mean, you you you've done a lot. I mean, you've launched more than sixty books to the New York Times bestsellers list. You've um, you know had placements for clients that include Today Show, GMA, CBS This Morning, People, Time, Esquire, Vanity Fair. We could go on and on. Um, How did you see because? your trajectory throughout this whole time that you were in the industry, um, was really unique because you were there way before social media took off. And then you were, Mm -hmm. you were also there and are still there now when social media is the beast that it is today. So how have you seen that shift with the way in which you take a
1: tangible product and position it to the audience? Yeah. Well, and I think the answer to that is twofold. Uh, Because one of the things, especially uh, for young people coming into the business, and and I used to teach a lot, um, and when I speak on the topic, I always tell people, we have this idea that you throw it out to the wall and see what sticks. And for me, it's just, that's never the case. I I don't think that that's smart. I think that you run the risk of um, not having credibility in the marketplace if that's what you do. So I think from a traditional media standpoint, one of the things that helped get from point A to point B in the success is knowing what traditional press outlets were looking for, knowing what those hot button topics were, knowing some of those things that they were looking for to craft messages, um, that would be impactful in the marketplace and how social media has changed that is it's just another Avenue and another vehicle, um, to reach your, 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 audience, to reach influencers, to reach uh, potential, um, Buyers, If you have a product that you're selling, um, but it's a lot faster um, and there's a lot more engagement. You know, you can go on to a program, you can have a 90 second spot or, you know, a two minute segment with somebody. Um, and that's really fleeting. Um, It's great. You get a quick boost of 2 million, 3 million, 4 million viewers. But what's the return on that investment of your time where social media has really changed that um, because you have an opportunity to constantly be engaging, to constantly be putting meaningful content out to the people who actually want to hear it from your voice.
0: Mm. And I think that, what I would also love to know from you with with that said, where do you see in today's market? Because I feel like especially for a lot of millennials and, and kind of younger millennials who who never really, you know, maybe they just went into the influencer space, so to speak, and all they knew was social media. What are ways in which For that idea of traditional media not being in someone's headspace, if you will, what are some ways in which we could still utilize traditional media in 2018 in a way that is beneficial to either conversion
1: or awareness? Right. Well, I think the thing that I've seen a lot in terms of trends is people taking on, you know, they're they're putting great content out into the marketplace. And you're seeing a lot of traditional media outlets who've now grown their digital platforms as well. And there's a way to cross promote. So they're picking up content from some of these influencers, uh, particularly millennials who are in the marketplace who are hitting that demographic. Um, So whether it's a spot, you know, you you might not necessarily see that person uh, have a segment on the Today Show on television, on the broadcast, but NBC digital platform has just as many viewers, if not more, and they can cross promote some of that content. So I've seen a lot of pieces that are picked up in the digital space, uh, be it either through Instagram, be it through uh, Facebook, and then they're repositioned on one of those media outlets. And you get a lot of viewers that way. We've, we've had a number of books come to us because of um, content that's been replaced on a traditional media outlet.
0: And that, I think that that's something that's so important to really say to the audience that listen in today, because a lot of times I get questions like that is, well, how would traditional media serve me? Or, you know, I'm not a celebrity or, you know, I, you know, I I don't have a million followers. So, you know, how, how is that going to serve me? How can I do that? So I want to, if we can walk someone through, let's say, um, you know, if they are kind of just starting out, they're wanting to grow the platform, right? How can they okay. use, even if it's just on the most localist scale, how could they use some kind of traditional media to try to, um, give them, give their platform a little bit more of credibility
1: in, in, in that kind of expert realm? yeah I think the, the biggest thing is knowing who you're trying to reach so if you know who your audience is you then dial it back from there and say you know again taking it back to the regional or even local level you go okay if I'm trying to reach say women you know 25 to 35 years old what's going to be the best traditional media outlet to do that and then from there it's it's hustle it's pounding the pavement it's making those connections um, you know even though in in a digital world we're all connected I think one of the things when it comes to your relationships, particularly, with, particularly um, with members of the press, it's taking that time to say, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee or let's get a glass of wine. Let's chat. And that gives them an idea to understand your brand, understand what you're trying to do, and then crafting a message that's going to be relatable for that audience. And then you can use that platform to repromote promote your site, um, grab some of their audience members and direct them towards what you're doing and that's how you can use traditional media to keep engaging and getting people over onto your network um, and your platform. Mm.
0: And so that, that's going to pose to my next question, which is how, how important is being resourceful? As oh, my goodness. As I know you're going to have a lot to say about this, which is why I'm excited. But, you know, if for an influencer listening today or even just someone who's a creative who maybe has it in their, you know, in the back of their brain to one day write a book, like how important is it for them to start being resourceful now?
1: Uh, I can't even... Oh my, it's so important. My goodness, I it is It is probably the thing that's either going to make or break your success. There are so many people in the marketplace. Everybody has an idea. Um, you know, when it comes to books, I hear so many people, oh, I, I want to write a book. I want to do this. I want to do that. But there has to be action behind all of those words. And that's where becoming resourceful and being resourceful, um, th- again, that's going to make or break the success. You have to be out there. You have to be looking for different avenues different partnerships, ways to engage your audience. Um, Also, you know, content that you're putting out into the marketplace. It's all about hustle. You know, you can have as many ideas um, as the next person, but if you're sitting on those ideas and not putting them into practice and in action, nothing's going to happen. They're just going to be ideas. Um, And I say that to people a a lot because so many people also think that they can write a book and then do all of the engagement, do all of the platform building after the fact. And and that's just in the, the world that we live in now, consumers are extremely smart. Technology has made it possible that we are very informed um, and we can read through um, people that are not authentic really, really quickly. And so if somebody is trying to write a book or they're trying to sell a product, it's You have to have a pre-made engagement, a pre-made audience, people who trust your voice already in place before you can start selling things to them or before you can start talking about your book. Um, I just had a client. um, It was a publisher who was releasing this book out into the market. We ended up getting a network package with NBC for them. We also had a a bunch of stuff through Fox and some, some great print pieces lined up. But the author, what was young, and it wasn't. The, he he's not an influencer. He his story is what was really compelling, and the publisher came to me two weeks before the book release and said, "Hey, we want to invest thirty thousand dollars to build out his his mark, or to build out his social platform." And I said, "Why would you do that? You're you're going to spend all of this money, create this this social network for him." And then all of a sudden say buy my book buy my book buy my book I, I, that people aren't going to trust his voice if they haven't heard your voice for six months twelve months eighteen months prior to. You can't just throw something into the market and then say, I'm going to use this as a sales tool, because that's all it is then. You're not engaging. You're not authentic. It's basically a, a way to get from point A to point B. And I, I told them, I said, go invest your money somewhere else where you're actually going to have a sales funnel, uh, because trying to do it um, on a platform that's about engagement, it's going to fall flat.
0: And that's, that's such a fantastic takeaway because I think a lot of times, you know, whether whoever comes to someone and says, you know, I want to write a book. I think that one of my biggest questions back to them is really the why, because if it really is just to become like another sales channel for you, then it's probably mm-hmm. not going to be successful unless you were already known in the publishing space as a best-selling author.
1: Exactly. And that's the other thing too. And it's really twofold. I mean, you can't just, you you have to have a genuine um, reason for wanting to write a book. And again, especially if it's a way to engage with your audience and it's content that they want to hear, um, you need to have that background in terms of doing it. The other thing I always tell everybody is, Writing a book is not going to make you famous. There, there's this common misconception in the marketplace that oh, I'm going to write a book, I'm going to make a million dollars from it, and then I'm going to be famous. I cannot tell you how incorrect that is. Um, most people do not make that much, especially from their first book. And so, I would say, especially in the changing marketplace, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, um, before the crash in 20, 2008, things were a little bit different. But since that time, and, and with technology and with influencers being where they are, I would say that a book should be an addition to what you're already doing. It should make sense. If you are, say, a fitness expert, you know, and you have 50,000 to 100,000 fans and you are constantly engaged with them and you have a high engagement rate, then yes, you know what? It might be time to meet with a literary agent um, or to call somebody to take you through the steps of what that might look like, but again, coming out um, and, and trying to do that on the front end, I, I just I've seen it fall flat so many times in the last couple of years that I think the market is going um, in the direction where if you don't already have that platform built in and that engagement built in, a book is not going to serve its purpose.
0: Mm. And really, you know, you kind of answered the why in that in that question, that answer too. When you know, because my next question for you was going to be like, well, then why should one should someone write a book? And you you answered it. You beautifully with really, it should just kind of supplement or be in support of the platform that you've already created.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's just it. It's especially if you're putting out content that is, and one of the things I always talk about is being inspiring, being empowering. Um, You know, there, there's enough stuff that we can, you know, that can muddle up or muddy up um, the noise that we have coming from so many things and so many outlets and technology with all of us being connected, that my biggest thing that I tell people is how are you making an impact with the people that are engaged with you? So is is your message impactful? How is it changing their lives? How is it empowering them to do better? Um, You know, and it, it doesn't have to be this profound aha moment. Again, it can be somebody who's really engaged, say, on the fitness and lifestyle side, who people have really resonated with because of their message, you know, and making sure that you're putting out a book that is in line with that message, um, you know, or may, maybe it's somebody who is, you know, well-versed in empowerment and talks about women's issues. Um, there's a lot of different avenues and different um, different genres that you can talk about and, and messages that you can get out there. Uh, but again, it needs to be authentic and it needs to be on point with your brand because otherwise it's a complete dissonance connect.
0: Mm. So now it's time for some loaded questions. <laughs> okay. um, so let's say that I am, I am listening right now and I'm thinking to myself, okay, like I, I'm able to check off the boxes of what she's saying. Like I have this platform, I have this great community. It's super engaged. You know, I, I, I have a good idea for a book, you know, cause this is, I know that this is a challenge you had mentioned. Um, when would be the right time to release that book and how does that
1: process come about. Right. Well, I think that's the thing where a lot of people get stuck is because they they all of a sudden they go, okay, it feels right. I have this idea I don't know what the next step is. And if you're really serious about doing a book, I know, again, there's a lot of different channels to do it through. You can self publish. Um, You're not going to get the sell through that you would with a traditional publisher. And so if you're looking to actually do it on, on a platform where you're, you're in all of the retail chains, you've got a team behind you. um, The traditional publishing route is a good way to go. And the way to do that is to consult with a literary agent or a literary consultant to say, Hey, here's where I'm at. Um, I have this idea. I actually have some writing samples as well. Um, What do you think? And at that point, um, if somebody knows the market really well, what they'll do is they'll sit down with you and they'll say, okay, how long is it going to take to actually get this manuscript completed? And then from that point, what publishers do we think would actually be interested in this type of content? Um, And then you look at what they have going on. Are they speaking to a huge group of people in 18 months from now, or do they have another opportunity, a natural opportunity that's already been planned on their calendar that you could tie into, um, that delivers that great core audience or a a huge platform of people to say, okay, I think we can have really good sell through if we publish the book at this time. Um, a lot of those conversations will happen once a publisher actually acquires the, the proposal um, and, and it really depends on what their workload is internally as well um, that's where most people get a little confused on the process is they think okay I've now um, I've now gotten my book proposal done I'm ready to go and they think that the book's going to be out in the marketplace within three to six months and I would say more realistically it will be 12 to 18 if not 24 months mm
0: that's a great thing to know because you really have to be again thinking ahead of like well where am i going to be in 24 months um yes. what's going to be happening that i'm going to be able to leverage to really appropriately market this this book um yep. i want to back it up to a little bit cuz one question that i constantly get um and so i'm sure you get it too is <laughs> how how does that person even find a lit agent or find someone that can help them through that process do they just google do they um, do do they ask people? Is it all of the above? How, how does one even get a potential
1: agent even interested
0: in their content?
1: It goes back to being resourceful. Um, and of course, for anybody listening, I'm happy to t- take them through that process. Um, but one of the things that Um, you need to do is, again, be out there making those connections. Um, If you are serious about what you're doing, you start connecting the dots. Again, we live in this world where we are all connected to one another. So whether we are two degrees of separation away from somebody or six degrees of separation away from somebody, you start talking to your network. You start saying, hey guys, I have this idea. Does anybody know anybody in the literary space? Um, So that's one avenue that you can go. You can certainly use Google and, and you can approach it that way as well, um, I found that a lot of of agents um, some of them are not um, they? They just aren't on Google in, in that sort of way. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for that type of space, um, a lot of your big agents who are with like CAA or WME, they're not going to be on sites like Google. But you'll find smaller independent literary agents, and that's if that's what you're looking for. I think that's a really good avenue as well. Um, but again, my biggest thing is again being resourceful, um, talking to the people that you know, who knows who, finding out where some of those trails might lead, um, and do. Doing it that way,
0: and being resourceful also means listening to this podcast and now knowing who Jennifer is, and then you can reach <laughs> out to her, which we will talk about in a little bit. Um, <laughs> one thing that you also mentioned about challenges, which I think was so brilliant, and you've touched on it a little bit, but I want to make sure um, that we that we really hit the nail on the head um, that you said that um, in re- in regards to publishing, one of the challenges that you see is. Um, people, uh, you know, will their content actually translate into an entire book? And really mm-hmm. b- being honest and asking themselves that question. I may have a great community and platform on Instagram or on a podcast or on my blog, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are book readers. That doesn't necessarily yeah. mean that the content's going to translate there. What are some ways that they could potentially try to figure that out? Is it, would you say, Um, surveying their audience? um, Or is there some other kind of way in which they can try to navigate that?
1: Yep, and I think, again, that answer is probably twofold because A, you have to first identify if you as a person wanting to write a book, if it's actually a book or is it a magazine article or is it a six piece series that you could do um, with, say, a news outlet, Um, be it either like a pop sugar or a motto or she knows something along those lines. And so. I always challenge people when they come to me to say, I want to write a book for them to storyboard it out. Because a lot of people have great ideas, but then once they put pen to paper, they go, oh maybe this is just an article. Maybe I don't have enough to fill up, you know, 15 chapters of a book. Um, And I think that really, at that point, they kind of, they start the framework to go, oh, okay, I could do this in chapter one, or this is going to be a two-piece book, and we can do it this way. Um, So the first thing is to dial it down and see what content it actually is that you think can fit into a book. And then once you have that, to start sprinkling some of those ideas into your into your influencer network, um, to start saying, hey, guys, I'm really interested in writing about this. Would love to hear your thoughts on that. Or And as you're sprinkling some of that content, um, to just pose the question to your audience. I mean, if this is how you're going to get into a publishing house and you're going to put your audience um, on your proposal as the sell-through and the people who are going to be interested in buying your book, you want to know... Um, that you can put your money where your mouth is. And so I, again, just have those conversations, pose the question to your audience, um, and you'll get a pretty good idea, um, whether or not they would be interested in a book from you. And, um,
0: aside from that too, I want to know from the perspective of acquiring, how important is it um, is, is metrics. And I, and I say this because especially when it comes to influencers, you know, the content obviously needs to be there in the platform, but if, um, if a potential agent or someone like you who really kind of navigates and consults people through this kind of stuff, um, they're going to need to come to the table with stuff to really kind of show that the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. So what kind of metrics would they need to pull together to really show a potential publishing house? Like, look, this is, this is kind of my community. This is the kind of open rates that I get on my newsletter. And this is the kind of engagement that that I have. And this is what I do over on Facebook live. How does that all kind of fall into place?
1: It's it's so important in this day and age and in the marketplace that we find ourselves in now. And that's the thing I try and tell so many people is that um, you can have amazing content. You can be a great writer, but if you don't have a way to sell it, it's just not going to happen these days. You know, that's, publishers do not operate in the same way that they did prior to two Two thousand and eight, and so budgets are a lot tighter, um, and people are a lot more cautious about moving forward, especially with a new author. So uh, that's most of the proposals that I put together. Um, it is a combination of content and a combination of network, and then um, also sprinkling in some some really substantial and concrete examples of some of that content. And so, um, and for most of what I do now, I have um, authors and clients actually lead with those numbers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because that is, when you're looking at the acquisition process, your publisher, your editor, your sales team, they're pulling profit, they're pulling all of their P&L analysis. Um, And again, if, if you've laid out that you have absolutely no idea who is going to buy the book, or that you have maybe you know this this small minuscule amount of people from you know your mom knows A, B, and C. That's not going to be enough to get you a book deal. Um, and so it is taking a look at your entire network. And some people have a really hard time even doing that because they may have you know a great following on say Instagram and Facebook, but they don't even realize oh hey that one time I did that interview for some obscure media outlet, say in Boise, Idaho, that got, you know, 12,000 hits, you have to start thinking about every single opportunity that you've had. Um, and so for some people, it's challenging them to go back and to realize some of those nuggets that they've placed in the marketplace are really important because it just gives, um, it gives an overall um, umbrella of what their reach actually is.
0: And when you are considering kind of taking on someone to navigate this for them, do you look for those types of like diversification through all of those different examples that you just shared?
1: I do. And the reason why is, and I've been very honest with people who have come to me who have said, I want to write a book. Here's my story. And I say, well, how are you going to sell it? And they have absolutely no idea. Well, what is your, what's your network? Who, who are your readers? And, and unfortunately, if people can't answer those questions for me, I say, you know what, you're, you're not there yet. You've got probably two to three years of building, um, that you need to do. So come and see me after you've done the groundwork. Cause I'm not going to do that for you. Mm, um, and, and so it's, it's really, again, when somebody comes to me, if they have all of those pieces in place, it's then guiding them through the process. And so we look at everything and it doesn't have to be somebody who has a million fans. It can be somebody who has 20,000 to 50,000 really strong and really engaged, um, fans who are listening, who are talking with them, who are, you know, really, really hungry for the content that they have. Um, so I look at all of the analytics From all of that, just to see what I think is going to translate well, and if it will, um, then translate well into a proposal that you can take to a publisher.
0: Um, I think that's an excellent kind of reminder for a lot of listeners because I think that sometimes they just focus on like a number, like a following number, and they don't think about, you know, um, building their newsletter. I mean, that's the best way to sell somebody, (laughs) Um, you know, and what those rates are. And, you know, how many direct messages do you get? How many ratings and reviews do you get on, you know, a blog post or comments that you get? I mean, it really is kind of factoring all of those things that I think a lot of people, tend to overlook or don't really pay much attention to because they're just focused on a following number. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And and that's where I think a lot of people just in the the landscape that we find ourselves in now are maybe misguided is that, you know, I I know that all of us would love to see our numbers grow. We would love, you know, it's, it's human nature. You go, Oh, wow. You feel like this thing that you're putting your heart and your soul and all of this energy and time into, um, you're seeing that monetize or not monetize so much, but you're seeing it grow by just that number. But if you you're not engaged and and that number is just solely a number, it's really an empty audience. And I, and I don't say that to, um, you know, to be negative, but it's a very pragmatic approach where it's, make sure that you're engaging, um, and, and, and do it authentically. You know, I think there's a lot of programs and a lot of different things that, that people can use to grow their platform now. And that's great if you're only looking for numbers, but if you're really looking for engagement, um, and and your goal in doing all of this is to be impactful, um, and to put content, that's relatable out into the marketplace that then make sure you're doing it with the right approach. Um, and sometimes ignoring the numbers, even though human nature wants you to, to look at those and only focus on that, you have to really, um, challenge yourself to go, okay, I'm, I'm not going to get stuck on that. I, I, I want to make sure that the people that I'm reaching are engaged. They're listening because that's more important to me than just simply growing a number.
0: Mm, such a good reminder and a good takeaway. And it kind of goes into that idea of awareness, which I want to talk to you about as well, because I know that there's something that you do in terms of just overall connection and growth and awareness and um, that I asked you about off air. And you were talking to me about, you know, you love that connection of the conversations, the face-to-face meetings. And you were saying that, you know, far too often people, when they're trying to build something, they, they get kind of so comfortable with just being behind the computer the computer screen. We get so comfortable with just texting and, um, Mm -hmm. and you've really kind of seen that what, then what, what can be a really nice tool in the toolbox for really growth and awareness is people to engage with the mindset of really trying to build a relationship. So I would love if you could share some examples of what that looks like from your perspective.
1: Yeah. And I would say relationship building is probably one of the key components that's helped me be successful um, in my career. It's, Again, I know it's easy to sit behind a computer. It's you can hammer out a hundred emails in an hour, and you feel accomplished. Where I know taking that same hour and going and sitting, you know, for a coffee or a glass of wine with one person, um, it, it's you kind of do the math and you go, okay, what's going to be the better return on of my investment in time? Um, but honestly, I can tell you that that face to face meetings or those face to face meetings, those will be some of the most fruitful. Relationships and meetings that you will take because you are putting a name or a face with your name and you're giving somebody a sense of who you are. We, we can all be somebody or create something or spin our stories online. But when you're face to face with somebody, that interaction, seeing their eyes, um, seeing what lights up in them when you're talking, I mean, that gives you a really good opportunity to know, say, let's just for, um, for example's sake, a producer, when you talk with them, you can start asking them about things that they're interested in, and as a human, you can just read um, read the conversation and go, "Oh, this person really likes A, B, and C," and you know, then after that meeting, that if you now, you know, two weeks, three weeks, several months down the road, have content that is in line with you know that something that you know that producer's interested in, that conversation is going to be the thing that leads you to getting a yes instead of a no. Mm. That's
0: such a great takeaway. I love all the nuggets that you're sharing today. Um, (laughs) So I want to ask you, um, a super loaded question too, because it's one that before we got onto this conversation, I had asked my audience questions that they would want answered from you. And so one that came up and you're going to be like, Oh my gosh, how much time do we have? Um, but in a, just an overview sense, what makes a book a bestseller?
1: Oh boy. Yeah, exactly. How much time do we have? (laughs) And it's, this is kind of one of those golden nugget questions, um, because sometimes, and this is just the nature of the business and it's the same can be said with anything in the entertainment industry, um, movies, television shows. Sometimes you can have all of the pieces of the puzzle lined up. And it just doesn't translate into the marketplace. And I think we've all been there. Um, And it's it's disappointing because you can say, oh, my goodness, we had we had all this press lined up. We had all of these things. And then you have to go back to the table and wonder where it fell short. Um, And sometimes it's just the changing landscape of the marketplace. Um, We had a book that we just did last year, um, that again, had all of the components in place and it fell short on the sales and really what it boiled down to was a, what else was in the marketplace competing, um, and B what was selling at this point. And a lot of things, um, since the election last year, a lot of books that are selling in the market are all politically based. Mm. Um, and, and so that's been one of those tough hills to climb over. Um, and we're not there yet. Um, and so it's it's a very um, – I don't want to say volatile, but it's a very um, uncertain market right now to release a book into because it seems the trend in terms of what's selling is all really politically-based content. Um, and so if you want to do a bestseller in this particular uh, framework – I can't really answer that question for you because, again, unless you are a journalist or you have run for office or you have something really profound to say in a political sense, I I think figuring out the components of a bestseller is really difficult. But to back it up, I think it goes back to, again, making sure that you have great content, making sure that you have um, the sell-through in terms of an engaged audience, um, and then making sure that you're putting it out into the marketplace At the right time. And that's something I talk to publishers and authors about a lot as well, is that a lot of people get stuck in this mindset, particularly um, in-house and on the the publishing side, that, oh, well, if this is going to be a big book, we need to release it within this time frame. A lot of publishers are putting their their biggest and best books out in September and October. Um, And so I've had to go in and consult with publishers and challenge them that if they have a book um, from an influencer who we think has the potential to be a bestseller, why would you put them against all of those giants and really crush their chance in the marketplace to be a bestseller? So I've had to say, guys, what about a November or what about putting it in March or April or even a June or July where we're not as saturated um, in the marketplace? And so there's, a again, it goes down to, it comes down to a lot of different things. How engaged is your audience? How much engagement have you done on the front end to let them know this book is coming out? Is the content there um, where we know it's a good book? And then where, what time frame are you actually releasing it into the marketplace? And I think the other thing that a lot of people overlook um, is their opportunity to get in front of. Of their audience. So, you know, you need to make sure that you're lining up traditional media, that you've got yourself a good marketing plan as well, um, that you're engaged with your audience. Um, but what else do you have? Um, which is where speaking comes in to play in terms of having an audience of two to 10,000 people right there at your fingertips to say, hey guys, here, I've got this book. Um, and then putting sales strategies in place to actually get from point A to point B and, and move the books off the shelf.
0: And I know that you do you do so so much amazing work through Spin Literary um, and a lot of these kinds of questions that I'm asking you I know that you go in, in major deep dives when you take on clients um, I know that you're launching a master class in the coming months on the literary process and kind of what makes you know the components that someone needs to really get, you know get a book acquired and then you know as much as we can control it turn that book into an, a bestseller um, so uh-huh. that's coming up which I would love for you to speak on and then also I know that you do offer influence influencers' one-on-one sessions to kind of see if the work and really where they are in their brand and in their platform in this moment could potentially translate to a book. So I'd love if you could kind of share with us a little bit of those services and and what you offer within SPIN.
1: Yep, absolutely. Um, and that's the biggest thing with the masterclass. I always get two questions. I always get, should I write a book and what's the process? So really the, the, first, um, the first sort of, you um, road that I go down with people is to see how much they know about the process. And so, um, and I felt like that was one of the the greater needs in the marketplace because so many people, again, have an idea, but they have no idea, um, just the process and and what it takes to actually get from an idea to an actual product. Um, so that was one, one Avenue. And then again, the other is, being becoming a best selling author. Um and again, that that's sort of, you know, back in the day, most people we would ask them what their goal is, and it was always being a bestseller, but then at that time it was I want to be on Oprah as well. Mm-hmm. Um and that's those are great goals to have, but a lot of times what you have to dial it back to um is to get really, really real and to start um at point A, you know, and let's see what we can do, what benchmarks we can put in place to get you to that end goal. Um and if we land somewhere in the middle, are you gonna be okay with that and managing that excellence Expectation, And so that's really what the masterclass on, on how to make a bestseller would be. Um, and again, it's taking people through what it actually takes to make a bestseller. So many people think, okay, I've got a, a network of 100,000 people. They seem pretty engaged. I've got this book. Um, but again, you have to be engaging with people six to 12 to 18 months beforehand. You have to have them interested. You have to have them really hungry for the content that you're putting out there. And then again, being really creative and making sure that you, um, that you're channeling all of that into sales when the time is right. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people go wrong is that they, they get really scared about asking their network to actually buy anything or to, um, to support them in that sort of capacity. Um, and so it's, it's really taking people through, um, just some of the strategies we can put in place. Um, again, I can never guarantee if it's going to be a bestseller. I, I sort of have just because I've been in the business a long time. I can usually tell, um, when I've got the content and the, the network in place to go, okay, yep, this one is it. Um, but this will help people to sort of frame the conversation conversation and really challenge themselves to go, could I potentially be a best-selling author or would I be okay if I sold, you know, this amount of books and it was really influential to my, my network, but maybe didn't get to be a bestseller. So that's really what that second masterclass is about.
0: Well, and you've launched over 60 bestsellers, so you definitely know a thing or two <laughs> about making it happen. Um, <laughs> And if, if someone wants to dive deeper into chatting with you about this, where can they find um, some information to contact you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so right now, it's funny when we made the move from Australia or from America to Australia, one of my things was because I've been in the literary field for so long, and I see the impact that stories have. Um, that's sort of where my heart is in all of this is is that. I just, I love a good story. And so we also launched um, a site called Coffee Loves Wine. Um, And again, it's all just, it's stories. It's meant to inspire, empower, sometimes make us laugh, sometimes make us cry, just challenge us all to make sure that we are um, being our most authentic selves. And with that, um, uh, there's a contact button on there where you can reach out to me there. So that's usually where I'm directing people right now. Um, And then obviously, Julie, you've got my contact information as well. So if anybody in your network, Work is interested, you know. I'm happy to talk to people. Um, reach out to me there. Otherwise, you can reach out to me um, at Spin Literary as well. And that's
0: you, that was my next um, question because I love coffee, loves wine, and so I wanted to t- you to tell people about <laughs> your amazing website. And and that's really also too what I think makes you so unique is because um, you know what it's like to be a quote unquote blogger. You know, you've been blogging now with Coffee Loves Wine um, for over a year now, maybe even longer at this point. And um, you know what it's like to craft a story and to really be a storyteller at the end of the day, which I think, you know, you kind of understanding both sides of that is going to help immensely when, when you're working with influencers and bloggers and understanding them, which I think makes you so unique as compared to maybe you know, somebody else out there in the publishing world that has maybe never actually dived in and, and been a blogger or been a storyteller and had a website themselves.
1: Yeah. And that was really one of the things I wanted to do, um, is, you know, you can have all the corporate experience in in the world. Um, but again, years ago when I got into publishing, it was because of a passion that I had for writing and for storytelling. Um, and so to break out of that a little bit, I mean, that was a huge challenge personally. Um, and, and you do, you start to put yourself out there in in ways that, um, on the front end can be scary, but you know that to get from point A to point B, you need to do that. Um, because again, it's all about being authentic, um, and really connections, um, and, and not so so much connecting just wow, because we're all on technology, but really connecting and, and having profound messages that are going to help people in their lives. Um, and so for me, it was being able to put my money where my mouth is and, and to say to clients, hey, look, I know what you're going through. Here are some of the challenges that I've faced in doing it on my own. So how can we move you over that hump? How can we get you from point A to point B? Um, and, and again, it's just being able, it, it's one of those things again, where you can just say, you know, you're relatable um, and, and you understand. And, and so, when it comes to growth, when it comes to, um, interacting, when it comes to engaging, I get those things because I'm in the middle of doing it myself. Um, and and so for lack of a better word, you can empathize with your clients, um, and you can really sit with them and brainstorm out substantial and really concrete solutions to get them, um, over some of the challenges that they may be facing. Mm. That's awesome.
0: And it's, it's such a great reminder to us to know that, um, we're not alone in that, in that strategy and that deep dive that, you know, you do empathize and you do kind of understand where that potential client is coming from, which is so great. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you really quick, um, a couple (laughs) of questions. Um, what is, a what is your, the book that has had the most impact on you
1: in your life? Oh my goodness, the most impact. Are you talking professionally or personally? <laughs> um, either or both. Okay, I think when I had first graduated from college, I made my way out to the West Coast and Catcher in the Rye was just that book that I really loved, that I really resonated with at that point, and I used to sit on the beach in Santa Monica um, and just read it over and over, um, and so that, at that point in my life, had a really, really big impact. I think one of the other books, um, as I've gone through, and it's one of my go-tos again, there's a book called the Tao of Pooh and I know it sounds funny but it is a book all about mindfulness but breaking it down to a really really simple level um and using the backdrop of Winnie the Pooh to do it and so it talks about it uses the characters from Winnie the Pooh to just say okay you know here's kind of the mindset that you should have in life. And it kind of gives you that perspective to just, you know, there are certain things you can do in, in life, but some of the, the garbage that we all get faced with and inundated with, you just have to let it go. Um, and so that that's one of my favorites as well. Um, I. Yep, go ahead.
0: And I know that you have worked, I mean, over 60 bestsellers. Do you have a favorite book that you have ever had the privilege of being a part of or, um, an author that has just made such a global impact that you got to work on their book release with.
1: Yeah. And it's funny. I always, I can't pinpoint it down to one, but I can pinpoint it down to three. Um, and and so Joan Rivers was absolutely amazing. The first time I met her, she was just a ball of fire and energy wrapped up into this tiny little frame. And she just, she had me in stitches laughing. And I just remember thinking, Oh my gosh, this is a woman. Like I want to live my life the way that she does where she doesn't take herself so seriously. She knows how to laugh about things, but she knows how to live as well. Mm. Um, and so I just working with her, um, my stomach hurt constantly because I was laughing (laughs) and she was just, she was, she was fantastic to be around. So I love, love, loved her. Um, we also had a chance to work with Al Gore, um, on the book, our choice, um, and an inconvenient truth and Inconvenient. Truth actually ended up winning a Grammy uh, mm-hmm. for best audiobook at the time, and and that he also went on to win a Nobel Peace Prize, and so it was that was one of those really really amazing projects because I think it started a, a really global conversation about climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, so from a humanitarian and from a you know a perspective of leaving a mark on the world, um, that was one that I really really enjoyed, um, but on a personal. Level, I think one of the projects that probably had the most profound effects on me and impacts on me um, was working with Patrick Swayze. Mm. And that project happened to be in his, um, he was very sick at the time, and it happened to be in some of his final days. And just seeing his the the work ethic that he put in he he was going through some treatments at the same time that he was recording the audiobook for it um and his wife was was very involved in that as well and about 2 weeks after our producers had been out there in his home studio working with him um through his illness trying to get the the audiobook um ready to go he passed away um and and I still remember just feeling this this sadness. And, and of course, when it happened, everybody knew that we were working on the project. So, you know, we had Barbara Walters and Oprah calling, asking, you know, Hey, can we get some of that, um, content, the audio content that you guys have, um, available? We're doing these specials on his life. And that was all wonderful. And obviously those are huge accolades that, that in your career you go, Oh, wow. I remember that time but I think the reason that project was so profound to me is I remember when it was all said and done and we had finally delivered it to his wife. Um, and his wife got choked up in, in saying, you know, this is a beautiful gift because it was the last project that her husband did. It was the last words. It was the last thing that he did, um, before he passed on. And so much of what that was about was about their relationship and their love for each other. Um, And I think for the first time in my career, I saw firsthand how stories have, um, have the possibility to impact a life so profoundly. Um, and it was, it was one person, it was his wife, but it was so beautiful to see in that moment.
0: Mm, God, those are, I mean, and just to think about the, the stories that you've been a part of and the journey that you've been on throughout your career is just so amazing. So thank you so much for taking us along on that ride today and sharing, sharing those with us, those, those beautiful book answers. Um, I have to ask you one question that I ask everyone that comes onto the show. um, And that is what does influence mean to you?
1: For me, it is, Being able to have an impact on another person's life, whether it's one person, whether it's 10 people, whether it is 100,000 people, I I think influencers have a really unique opportunity to impact the lives of others. And, And so it's for me, it's a challenge of going Are you making a positive impact? And that's really what I think um, influencers are called to do, is to change conversations. um, And by changing those conversations, you you have an opportunity to impact and potentially change the world around you.
0: Well, Ms. Jen, thank you so much for coming on today. I know that you gave us information on where to find you online um, at Coffee Loves Wine, um, but if you could reiterate that, as well as your socials and anywhere else that anyone that's listening today that wants to reach out, uh, give you some thank yous, give you some love, and you know, maybe even stalk you down and you know <laughs> beg you to work with them, because you are the best of the best, my friend.
1: Ah, thanks, Julie. Um, yeah, absolutely. So we are at Coffee Loves Wine. You can find us coffee loveswine dot com. Um, you can email me there, Jennifer at coffee dot com. Otherwise, we are at Spin Literary. We have tried to channel a lot of our stuff just through Coffee Loves Wine and, and combine those two things. Um, so that is where you can find us. You can show us some love. I would be happy to answer anything. Um emails, calls that people need questions, Um, I'm always here to do so. And as Julie knows, I'm a straight shooter. So um, if you're up for an honest conversation, I'm your girl. Yes, yes. And
0: then Instagram is coffee underscore loves underscore wine, right? Yes. Awesome. It is. Yep. All right. Thank you, my friend.
1: Oh, thank you. I miss you. I am so happy to hear your voice. And of course, you know, much like I always say, I wish I was there having a glass of wine with you. I know. Coffee and wine. (laughs)